Hey, you are listening to Oh Crap Parenting with me, your host, Jamie Glowacki. This is a podcast for conscious parents who drop the F-bomb a lot. Hey, hey, you guys. Today, I am thrilled to be speaking with my colleague and friend, Meg Thompson. She's a certified behavioral consultant. Meg came on my radar through Instagram, like everybody does. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> who is this chick? Her party line is be loud. And I was like, all right, let's be loud. I don't, I don't know what we're being loud about. <laughs> and she is adamant about changing behavior through love and connection and not rewards, consequences, and punishments. So right. welcome, Meg. Why don't you tell Hi. everybody a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So I was a kindergarten teacher for 10 years. I think that's very important for people to know because I get a lot of times I get people who say things like, well, obviously you were never a teacher. Well, I was for 10 <laughs> years. And I realized I was good with the hard kids, the kids that kind of fell outside the box. And so I decided to go back to school for behavior. And now I hang out with, um, I'm doing this in quotation marks, the harder kids, because I don't think they think they're hard, the harder kids. And I'm loud for love. Like I figure out, okay, just because these kids are hard doesn't mean that we're going to use old school, archaic, harmful strategies on them just because their behavior is hard. We're going to still do it through love and connection, even though we want it to happen really fast. We always yeah. want fast and easy strategies. Where do you work? Do you work in schools? Do you work in homes? Yes, all of those things. So I um, right, own my own business, so I am independent. Right. I live in New Hampshire. So I go to schools in New Hampshire and Massachusetts and Maine just because um, I have a 10 year old and I like to be home at night. So I don't really travel that far somewhere I could leave and come back. Right after this, I leave and go to a kid's house and help in the homes. Like I don't have an office. Right on. My office is in your home and I have no after school spots open. And I have a waiting list, which I never thought would happen because I've always just been able to figure it out. And I think post COVID, there's so many people struggling that I, I was like, Oh, I can talk to you as an adult on zoom and help, but I can't then come to your house, which I feel like is a great piece. But it also, right. I also work with people who like, right. I meet with a kid in Nebraska. I've never met him in person, but I see him every week. Yeah. I talk to him. So when you say hard, I think we all kind of know, but what mm. behaviors would you consider hard? Okay. So the hardest behavior from a school perspective and an adult perspective is any kid that is physically external, that hurts, that uses their hands, their feet and their mouth to hurt another kid. Schools, it doesn't matter if they're public, private, preschool, child cares. Religious schools have no tolerance for that. None, absolutely none. Or kids that looks like they can help it, yes. right? kids that are unkind or say things and it looks like they can help it. And then in schools, we don't have a lot of knowledge, new knowledge. We probably have old knowledge, but new knowledge around uh, neurodivergent kids. Those kids are struggling big time in school. Yes. Let's talk about this, though. The kids who look like they can help it. Because I hear this a lot from clients. And I, I turn a lot of clients on to Meg because she has that school component. And I wasn't a teacher, so I don't feel comfortable at all in that school component. But what I hear is, well, he's fine. He can obviously sit and listen. Obviously, he did yesterday, but today he's all over the place. You see that a lot? Oh, yeah. Or at home, there's nothing. And at yeah. school, there's something. Or, it's, or at school, there's nothing. And at home, there's something, right? So sometimes it's only present in one environment for whatever reason, for the sensory 
needs that aren't met at school, maybe, or the relationship piece that's hard, the social piece, or at home, it's maybe the way the parents parent or not the way the kids need to be parented, but parents don't know what they don't know. Yes. But a lot of times it's like you said, well, he can sit and listen. And then we try to like recreate that day. And sometimes it's just lucky. He looked like he was sitting and listening, but he was playing the Star Wars theme song in his head. He didn't listen to anything you were saying. You just thought he was listening because he was still. That doesn't mean he was listening. Yes, good point. He just didn't move, right? And so we're trying to recreate that, but we can't recreate the Star Wars song in his head again. Yeah. Uh, He's going to miss everything. So we're always looking for some sort of data collection. We're looking for some sort of pattern. And when it doesn't come to us quickly, we get mad. But uh, sometimes the kids, sometimes at the situation, we just want to know what to do right away. And we want it to be usually a Pinterest strategy. And we want it to be fun, fast, and easy. But usually Pinterest strategies and fun, fast, and easy strategies end in shame, guilt, and embarrassment for the kids. Yeah. So I want to get back to the neurodivergent part. Let's go to those strategies because I think everybody will be familiar with them. Let's talk about the school strategies, which then filter into, I feel like the home strategies, like home learns these things. Like I remember when my son came home from kindergarten and he's like a rule follower and he's very neurotypical, but he came home and he was like, mom, they have this thing. It's like a red light. If it's on red, you're bad. And if it's on yellow, it's a warning. And if you're on green, you're good to go. And he loved it because he was like, I know the clear, the clear boundaries. But again, neurotypical, he was like, I can fit into this. I'll always be green, which is not good either. But talk to me about these school strategies, you know, because I had a minute there where I was like, well, maybe I'll use this at home. And I never, I never parented like that. So that just never I never parented with shame, embarrassment, or guilt. <laughs> right, right. And I think that until somebody breaks it down like me to say, well, that ends in shame, guilt, and embarrassment, a lot of teachers, that's what they learn in school, right? They take one class or one semester of one or two behavior management courses, so it has to be quick. Yeah. And it ends up being, oh gosh, we would be here for about four hours if I named them all, but any sort of sticker, ticket, token, pointer, clip. Desk pets, mystery student, PBIS stuff. So you earn something and you get to go to a assembly. And if you don't earn enough things, you don't go to the assembly. There's prize boxes and treasure boxes. I was at a little girl's house yesterday and in the treasure box, you ready, Jamie, for what you got? Two plastic cockroaches. That's what she won. <laughs> oh my goodness. Sometimes you win a certain number of coins and then you could go to the claw machine, which you never win. I live down the street from the arcades in Hampton. And I've tried the same claw machine every time I went down. We went down probably three times a week. If I ever got the stuffed animal, it would have been $4,000. You never win. So like the kid's excited, they get to do the claw machine. (coughs) Claw machine doesn't work. There's wrapped vending machines for books. So you can get books. Only the good kids get to uh, read and the the other kids don't. And so Um, this is particularly damaging in school because this is public knowledge. Oh, yeah, yeah. So so all the things like the red, yellow, and green system is out. The clip down system uh, is up on the wall, right? The clip down system has clips and you're ready to like a warning system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And it's color coded, of course. So you want to be in the purple, blue, and green and not in the red, yellow, and orange. But then it sets up classroom competition where kids are like, don't hang out with that kid. He's red. He's a bad kid. I'm only going to hang out with the green and blue kids. Right. And it's like uh, Hunger Games. You can fall from grace at any moment, right? Like if you 
Oh, yeah. I was at a house the other day and the little girl goes, oh, I got this. Look at the blue elephant I got as a reward. And when I hear that, my, I'm like, I perk up. And I was like, a reward? What do you mean by that? She goes, oh, well, we got to K in homework. And I said, well, I don't know what that means. I envisioned what it meant, but I was okay. making sure it was right. She goes, oh, we got to the K in homework. So we got to pick out of the prize box because K is the last letter when homework is spelled out. And I said, oh, I said, is it a group class thing? Yeah. All of us have to pass in our homework. And I was like, oh, I bet there's one kid that always messes it up for you, right? And she was like, yeah, Franklin, he never passes in his homework. And he's a mean kid. And I said, just so you know, I'd also be a mean kid if I didn't get my homework done for whatever reason, because I don't know, there's a why behind that behavior. There's a reason he doesn't do it. And now every day he's getting thrown under the bus and making the whole class not get their prize or their letter. Wouldn't you be mean too? I'd be mean. Even That's now, it's a lot on little shoulders. Right. He's only nine. I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I homeschool, so I've escaped a lot of this. But I imagine yeah. that a lot of people, I saw it in the brief time my son was in school, I saw quite a lot of this. And they had school cash that you could spend at the school. Oh, and, mm-hmm. You know, I, I could already see. Yeah. So let's talk about your philosophy in general. Like, let's say at home, in a non-public environment, let's say it's a parent, because that's, you know, my audience tends to be very conscious parents trying to do their best. But a lot of times, because we're all parenting in this new paradigm of love and connection, largely we weren't parented that way. So we're all kind of carving our own path here. And so a lot of times we default to these strategies because they're the only thing in our toolbox. So what does that look like at home? Like, where is the shame, guilt, and embarrassment if it's just you and your child? So there's still, even though it's not public, it can still be shared. So if it's competition between siblings, right? Like Mm -hmm. one sibling is doing great at bedtime, the other one's not. So the other one looks like they're being bad, right? I'm doing that in quotation marks because kids aren't bad. The choices they make sometimes are bad. Or that the mom tells the dad or the dad tells the mom. So they discuss, oh, he didn't get a token today. But they're learning it from school and school are supposed to be the expert. So Why not bring that stuff home and things like class dojo, right? So that's a point system that's public at school up on a smart board. And you can pay $7.95 to have those points follow you home and then have those home points follow you to school. So you never get out of it. Yeah. Yeah. So you never get out of that, that piece when you're celebrating and you're like, oh, you get the sticker ticket token pointer clip, whatever you decide at home. Yeah right? You feel closer to your kid, your kid's celebrating. You're like, oh, it's a good day. And now what happens on the flip side when you're the parent who said, you're not going to get that. Mm. It obviously is sad for you. Sad for the kid that can have big emotions and become dysregulated. Now there's a whole nother set of things you have to worry about, but it also carves and dents that relationship. I was just celebrating with my mom yesterday because I did these wonderful things. And now that same person is the one who now is taking it away. But kids, I would say always, but uh, maybe there's, right, have unconditional love for their parents. So now it's so confusing where I was happy with my mom yesterday. I felt close. Now she's taking stuff away. I don't even like the system, but nobody asked me about it. So now I'm mad about it but I still love her and need her. And uh, that's really confusing for kids as young as I've been in houses for kids as young and three and four that have used this stuff. How do they yeah. understand that? That's so many emotions swirling and coming at you and then, and, and being like, yeah, no, yeah, no, good, bad, good. Like, I don't even know. 
probably goes back to that thing you said about, you know, them meaning to. Like, if you think, I had this client that I was working with and I had to fight tooth and nail and I was, her kid didn't quite, he hadn't been tested yet. And Mm. I was like, look, I'm pretty sure we're looking at something neurodivergent. I'm pretty sure we got some sensory issues here. So he does need, you know, he needs the testing. The mom was like, oh, we don't need testing. We don't need testing yet. We're not there yet. And I was like, yeah, but it takes a long time. So I think you are there because he's getting into a lot of trouble. And then it was like, I almost had to fight tooth and nail. And I don't want to ram a diagnosis home to somebody, but I was like, you're asking him to be on par with all the other kids. And clearly he can't, he can't sit still. So instead of like coming up with all these ways that you're going to make him sit still, can we look at the individual child? And so that's what I'm finding too, is that there's always this comparison. And I think you're neurodivergent, are you not? I am not, but I am told I am neurodivergent often and I consider it a compliment. <laughs> well, so it looks like I have ADHD because I do a lot with temperaments. My temperament is the temperament that could be diagnosed with ADHD. Okay. I do not have it. I call it drunk squirrels, actually. Okay. So you're very sympathetic to the... <laughs> uh-huh. Well, because I work with a lot of kids and I understand that their brains don't work the way mine does, but I also do a lot of research and studying in neurodivergent communities because I know that I uh, do not have that piece. Yeah. But we don't have to fix these kids. That's no. the prevailing. I think that's where the whole system comes from, right? It's like, mm-hmm. like, well, if we just give them the tools to recognize when they're being bad, but I think so many of these kids can't even recognize it. It's impulse control. It's sensory. It's like internal stimuli that manifests externally. And then that's where the inherent shame comes in, right? Is because I just was being me. And yesterday that got me a sticker. And now today, it, it got me nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and my philosophy is kids do well when they can. So yeah. I haven't worked with one. There probably is some kids out there that wait, right? No kid wakes up and says, you know what? I'm really going to make my teacher's life heck today. And I <laughs> am going to do this, 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 and that. They don't like premeditate and plan this stuff. And neurodivergent brains work differently. Neurodivergent kids hang out in neurotypical schools. That's the way it is. Yeah. And so what looks, uh, I get this a lot. And it's usually when they haven't told me they're neurodivergent yet, but I know that that's the case. Oh, they're quirky or weird, or they're an outlier, or people think they're strange. And I was like, nobody's had the conversation in school or in a home yet that says, you know what? Everybody's brain works different. When he stims, this is what it means. Let's talk to him about it. Everybody stims, but when he stims and flaps his hands, he's trying to regulate. He's either excited or upset. So you might want to check on him. But staring at him's not helpful, right? And it's not a weird thing. That's how his brain works. And we want everybody to be regulated. That's how he does it. But we miss those conversations in school. That's the teaching piece that we miss. Can you explain stims? Oh, everybody does it. So it's people who like twirl their hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, neurotypical people do it in a, I'm putting this in quotation marks, less weird way because that's what people have said to yeah. me. But stimming, like shaking their hands or rocking back and forth, or some people like put something in front of their eyes, like there's just different ways. And if you're neurodivergent, you do it in a different way than a neurotypical would. And um, when you don't have that conversation, it looks strange. Yeah, yeah. And it is a self-regulating mechanism. Yes. And you know what? And I don't think a lot of kids are told that. I think those neurodivergent kids are then told to stop it with like a... If you don't do that for this many times, you get a sticker and the stickers give you a whatever and the right to hold those stims in either dysregulates them or is exhausting is what I've heard. It's like so hard to not do those things because 
they're trying to regulate. And I know I try to regulate in different ways and everybody does. And I don't know why we don't have those conversations. I think because teachers, again, don't know what they don't know. Nobody taught them to have those conversations. Or at home, if you have a neurotypical kid and a neurodiverse kid, there's got to be a lot of brain talk going on. Yeah. I think there's a huge thing. Like I can't quite grasp it into words yet, but I talk about it a lot on this podcast, which is like, could we make the learning, the learning about each other? Like, could all our emotions, could that be the learning? We squash these like, quote unquote, bad emotions. Like you can't get angry, right? But what if we really discussed anger? What if that was the teaching in school? Wouldn't that be amazing? Or like, oh, look, you know, you guys are all staring at Johnny because he's doing this thing. And you might think that's weird. Johnny, explain what happened. So, you know, like we could have this, instead we put like social emotional bullshit language on a board and like try to talk it through. And I'm like, that's not how it works. And sometimes I think we get caught in this social emotional curriculum piece of like, I'm going to a school uh, starting in January every every Monday to pull out some of these kids that need a little bit more support in social emotional growth and behavior challenges and stuff. And they were like, well, we're using this curriculum and this curriculum. What curriculum do you use? And I said, well, well you might not like my answer. They know me well, though. I've been there a lot. So I don't use a curriculum. It's all from my head. They don't use a curriculum because then we get stuck in it. Yeah. And it doesn't work for all kids because... Whoever designed the curriculum has not seen all kids and we need the information so then we can roll with it, right? My masterclass does that. It teaches you all the information so you can run with thinking of your own strategies because now you have the information to inform what strategies you're making. So with social emotional growth, like you said, you put those silly things up on a board and you're like, I I don't know if any of that, right? I had a dad today, a grandpa today say, well, we want her to be good all the time. I said, I'm 44 and I'm not good all the time. I'm it's very really unrealistic. I'm in trouble today. Actually, I'm in trouble today on social media. I like, <laughs> I'm kidding. And I don't want her to be good when like, it's a self-advocacy thing and she has to stick up for herself. Right. I want her to do it. I don't want her to be like, hold it in. That's unhealthy. Right. Are we seeing more neuro- neurodivergence? I know for sure we're getting better at it, like understanding it. Mm-hmm. I was just talking to my stepmom and her granddaughter has a, an autistic little boy. And I said, you know, it's crazy because that used to be the mark of death. Like that was a label that you couldn't get over. I said, and now we totally understand so much more about autism that it's, it's really not anymore. Do you think there's higher incidences of neurodivergency or did the pandemic play into that? So what I think it is, is that there were autistic neurodivergent ADHD kids and they went through a lot of archaic old school, traditional strategies. Now they are adults who have a social media platform and new information and are not afraid to be loud. Mm. So they come out and tell us. So now it's like, oh, okay. So we need to be doing things differently. And it it ignites this little spark. And now, now we kind of have this fire. So I don't know if there's more necessarily as much as there are. We now know who they are, where I think Mm. a lot of them slip through the cracks. And like you said, it used to be the mark of death. I had a mom the other day say, well, my son's autistic. I said, oh, that's cool. And she goes, it is? I said, yeah, it's super cool. I said, I can't wait to know what his special interest is because I really, really love to play on them. Right at a girl that has a special interest as a cat and I have this big like mascot cat head. Of course I do. (laughs) And I wear it every time I'm on Zoom with her. And the mom said, you are the only adult that thinks that's cool that I've talked to. I was like, really? I was like, even the ones who like, hang out with autistic kids all day? And she was like, yes, that is the most exciting anybody's ever been. 
that my kid's been autistic. But I was like, I think that's pretty great. I said, I know how to work with autistic kids. I know what to do. And she was like, oh, wonderful. She was so excited because I was excited. But it that way. So I don't know how different it is now that like your kid's autistic and people don't know what to do with that. Okay, now what do I do? Where do I go? What do I learn? How is that different? Yeah. What school do I have to put them in? Do I have to homeschool them now? What information right. do I need to get them? Right. It's it's a lot. And advocacy is so huge. I had another woman on here, a two-part podcast. It was so long, but she talked about being that kid in school and how her mom advocated for her. And now she's mm-hmm. a social worker. But let me ta- ask you this. So what can a parent do at home if they don't want to use stickers, charts, clips, marbles, tokens? They marbles. don't want to use uh, the marble jar. I uh, Yeah. yeah. What can they do? Because I think parents feel powerless. They feel like they need to do something to like fix the behavior, even if it's not a neurodivergent kid, you know, just a regular old toddler behavior or, you know, maybe a little bit older. But what can parents do? How can they use love and connection? What are some of the strategies you use? So every toolbox should have the universal strategies. And this is where you start. Every toolbox should have self-reflection by the adult. How was I disciplined when I was little? Mm -hmm. Did it work? Did I like it? Did I feel like I had a voice and power? What is my temperament? Who am I? Right. I am intense. I think that's pretty obvious. I did not know that till I was 37 because I thought it was fun and friendly. Right. So a lot. (laughs) Oh, you and I are like Jamie, like we think we're fun and friendly, but I think a lot of people think we're intense. And I was like, intense. My friend goes, you don't think you're intense. And I was like, I guess I never thought of it. I thought everybody thought I was fun. She was like, yeah. And intense. And I thought, okay, so knowing who we are, right? It's that intrapersonal piece of who am I? They're called ghosts of the nursery. How do the ghosts of the nurseries inform my parenting? Oh, I like that. Right? Ghosts of the nursery. Yes. Right. Is that your turn? No, uh, Bev Boss. Do you know who Bev Boss is? I don't. Oh, well, she has since passed away, but I taught in her school in Roseville, California. She's world renowned. She died on, I think, on Valentine's Day, actually which is sad, years ago, at this point, maybe five years ago, her school was play-based. It was so great. But she said, she talked about Ghosts of the Nursery. Yes. And how does it inform your teaching, right? Was it a patriarchy? Was it a matriarchy? Was it, did kids have a say? Was there sibling rivalry? Was there, those are mental health concerns in your house? Did that, did you take that with you and hold it? And now you're trying to parent differently, but you don't know how to parent differently. So another thing in your toolbox has to be, who is this child? Who did you give birth to? Did you give birth to yourself? Because that's the hardest. Did you give birth to your opposite? That's the second hardest. You usually marry your opposite. So you have the second hardest. And if you give birth to yourself, you have the hardest. So that makes a tricky household. Right. right? I like parenting the kid in front of you, but I like this better. Like, <laughs> And then getting new information. And that includes like love languages. Love languages is a love-based strategy. Asking more questions. Really diving into if you do have a neurodivergent kid, what does that look like? No one in my family's neurodivergent. My son's not neurodivergent. I'm not neurodivergent, although I'm told I am a lot. I even get like, these are the neurodivergent accounts to follow. And I make the list and I was like, oh, guys, thanks. I just want you to know I'm neurotypical. I just don't want to like, I don't want to try to trick anybody. I don't want people to think I'm trying to trick them into it. And then how do we use this information to form a toolbox for the kids? So human behavior is a pattern. Once we know the pattern of temperaments, right? And there's an assessment you can take. To find That's out that assessment because you use a specific one, right? It's called. Yes, it. yes. It's called discoveryreport.com. Yep. That's where it goes. And it's $12.95. So it's 
the least expensive of the ones I've seen. You probably could do it free online. The thing with the disk assessment that I do is that a report prints out and it, first of all, talks about how wonderful you are, which makes you feel good. And also which we helps always you. lead with. Yeah, right? Right? Like, tell me how wonderful I am. That never goes wrong. <laughs> right. And then, and then there's books you can read, but then it's like, okay, so now you know the intrapersonal piece. Who am I? Mm-hmm. Now we have to do the interpersonal piece. So I am fast paced and loud and intense. I gave birth to a slower paced, quiet, sensitive kid. So I cannot be up here most of the time. Yep. So if I'm like, what, Brennan? He's like, mommy, why are you yelling at me? I was like, I not yelling. But it feels like that to him because he wears his heart on his sleeve. So I know I have to adjust. And if I yelled and if I was like, let's go, he would do it because he is a kid that follows the rules, but he would internally be so hurt and he would cry. And then I feel terrible. But I only know that because I know my temperament and I know his and I know what his toolbox looks like. So I do a lot with foster and adoptive families and they don't know 55% of who you are is heredity and genetics. It's what you get from your mom and dad. I have, I have a funny dad and an intense mom. Yep. (laughs) It's my intense humor (laughs) that I have. But when you were foster and adoptive, what happens? You don't know that. You don't know that 55%. So you don't know the majority of the kid and you don't know what toolbox to build. So I went to a, a workshop. And I was going to like gloss over it and I was going to send them to do it. And they were like, can we ask, I had like five people raise their hand. Can we ask if you could just change whatever you were going to talk about and talk about the 55%? Can you do that just off the top of your head? And I said, I can. I said, would you like me to go in that direction instead? And they were like, yes, please. <laughs> yeah. And they were so <clears throat> excited to understand their whole child and not just the nurturing piece. Because a lot of foster and adoptive kids get the nurturing piece also has is laced with trauma. They don't know who they are as a human first, right? We need to know who the kid is as a human. I like this assessment because I also think I would venture to say that most parents, and this may be shocking to you guys, but like you, you're so bonded to your kid in those first two years. You're so bonded. But when individuation hits at three, three and a half, that's when the kids really become almost a stranger to the parents because a lot of the parents can't handle it because we think we have the same because the child is largely agreeable up until then, you know? And then all of a sudden these personality differences start coming out and the parent is like, I don't even know this kid. I didn't sign up for this, you know? And so I think at that point, that's a really good point to do these assessments because we can be lulled into this sense of, I know this kid. And I even tell my friends now who have a 10 year old, I was like, I have a 16 and a half year old. Trust me, you don't know your kid. They're going to keep evolving. And the kid my kid is today, I could have never imagined when he was 10. I just didn't think he was going to be this kid. To me, it's like you're in a boxing ring and you just got to stay on your tiptoes and be like, okay, where are we going? Where are we going next? (laughs) And you know, your strategies are working too when your kid says it back to you, right? Like I did something the other day and he goes, mommy, you need to ask more questions. And I was like, oh, which is one I say all the time. And I was like, oh, there's my voice coming back at me. That's but he awesome. he knows the strategies now, right? Yeah. He's like, he'll say things to me and I'm like, oh, got it, bud. Oops, sorry. Oh, boy. So asking more questions, because I, I always call this to approach it with curiosity. You know, mm-hmm. like if we make no emotions bad, you know, there are bad choices and there are bad behaviors. You know, hurting another kid, we probably put into bad. But we if yeah. we get curious about it and curious about, I think people get curious on a superficial level. They're like, why'd you do that? And I'm like, that's not a good question. <laughs> You know, how did you feel in your body? What was happening in your eyes? What were you seeing? You know, these kinds of questions that are much more 
we want to know the feeling of it, right? Because that's, if we can get to the feeling of it, that's where we can connect. And I always say things like, oh, I bet there's a reason for that. I probably wasn't here for the beginning part. But I just saw the end part. I bet you know the beginning part. Oh, if you want cool. to share it with me, I'd love to hear it. And then you just have to leave that. And I think that's what parents and teachers have a hard time with. You just leave it because we can't make kids eat, sleep, go to the bathroom or talk. So we want the kid to converse with us, but now they're in trouble and it's a little harder to like admit that you did something wrong. And now I have to like make eye contact, which we shouldn't force during those or any opportunities. So we just leave it. And most of the time kids will come up to you or you could check back in and say, remember, I'm I'm still ready if if you want to tell me the beginning because it couldn't have been a hundred percent your fault i don't know if that's ever the case can't right. be a hundred percent another kid's fault but to just leave things say oh that made you really angry angry's okay hitting's not okay but i bet you had a reason for it love to hear what it is and then you just stop right. talking sometimes we go into dissertations i'm sure you you see that oh that my God. Like going out your manners is one when a kid says can i have a spoon and they're like, yeah, in order to get the thing that you want, you have to say, please, and please is polite. And you're like, oh, shut up. Right. I had it- a fiance once who he called it talking at me. And I really took that to heart. I'm a dissertation. I launch into the whole fucking thing. And then I'm like, oh, my God, shut up. Shut up. Like, Meg, honestly, it's like this year that I learned to shut up with my kid this year. I was like, stop talking. You're talking at him and you get met with the wall. It's not. <laughs> yes. My, my son will go like this. He'll start talking. He goes, and this is a strategy I tell him. He goes, mommy, listen to everything. I will cut him off. Mm. And then if, if I do cut him off, he goes, he'll say something like, you just have to listen. Your question will be answered at the end. Gotcha. Right? Like, <laughs> and I'm like, Oof. But those are things I've taught him, right? Right. And, and I've taught my son. He'd literally give me a timeout signal and he'd be like, too many words. There's, you're using too many words. And I'm like, okay, yep, you're right. right. Which <laughs> I say we turn into the Charlie Brown teacher with the Argyle socks and the yeah. orthopedic shoes. Yep. Like, wah, wah, wah. That's all they hear after a while. Yeah, totally. Oh, well, this has been great, Meg. Thank you so much. So that's discoveryreport.com where you can do the assessment, yeah, of yourself. Because of yourself and your kid. So they're, if uh, five to... 12, 5 to 11 is the kid one. Okay. 12 to 17 is the teen one. 18 and older is the adult one. Okay. And that's just to assess your temperament so you get a better sense. Because yeah. I think, I mean, I only know I'm intense because enough people have told me. I would have kept thinking <laughs> I was fun and loud. And, and people are, they don't think I'm kind of intense. They're like, oh my God, you're so intense. And I'm like, yeah. really? Because I don't, all right. <laughs> oh, I don't know until someone on Facebook will say like, something and I'm like, oh, really? So now when I'm intense and I know I'm intense, I put the little uh, megaphone on the reel so people okay. who want my intensity can skip it. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> get, get yourself a code. This has been a wonderful talk. Thank you so much for your time. Where can people find you? Well, you can find me on Instagram at Meg Thompson Behavior. Meg has two Gs. I don't know where Meg Thompson with one G takes you. I'm on Facebook at Meg Thompson Behavior Consulting. And... MegThompson.com is my website. Awesome. Thank you. So you guys reach out. Meg does have a waiting list at this point in time, which right before this call, we were talking and saying that we're both really busy, which is good. I have an after school going to your house waiting list. I don't have a waiting list for like talking to parents on Zoom. I will almost always talk to somebody because parents, and I feel like you see this, Jamie, too. They reach out when they're at wit's end. 
So I am scared to say I can't talk to you ever because I don't want anybody getting hurt physically or emotionally because somebody is at wit's end and needs somebody to co-regulate with. Exactly. Right. It's really tricky. All right. Very good. Thanks, Mag. Okay. Thanks. Take care, you guys. I appreciate you so much. Thanks for listening. Okay. Bye, everyone. Just a reminder, if you need additional resources, I have Oh Crap Potty Training. I have Oh Crap, I Have a Toddler. Those books are available everywhere you want to find a book. (laughs) You can also go to my website, jamieglowacki.com, where you can book private sessions with me, buy any of my courses. Those are really geared towards potty training help. And also I'm on Instagram. I'm not on Facebook anymore and I'm not on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, jamie.glowacki, and I do a lot of lives and uh, usually posting a lot of good information. So those are extra resources for you. And as always, rock on. Have an awesome day.